You're now diving into the fish tank. Sitting down with Seth Living, Seth. OJ, Juice, Juice Man, ooh, and this is strictly for them true fans, yeah. golf fans, number one, one, of course y'all, this ain't no ordinary sports talk, dive up in that fish tank. Welcome back to the Fish Tank right here on the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. Seth Levitt with my main man, OJ McDuffie. Juice, how you feeling today? What's up, Big Seth? I'm doing pretty good, man. How about yourself? Uh, doing really well, man, as long as we can get our guest in here. Uh, he's been cutting in and out on us. <laughs> but you know what, Juice? It, we had a great run of Gator players early on in the tank. And mm-hmm. I think you did something. You shifted the guest list. You talked to Preach about who we were bringing in. Mm-hmm. And, but finally... We're getting back to Gainesville, literally, not just in the past, but right now in Gainesville, Trace Armstrong. Trace, welcome to the tank, man. Uh, It's so good to be here. Uh, Really big fans of the show, and it's good to see everybody. Uh, Juice, it's been a long time, but uh, man, just couldn't be more happy about being a part of this. So thanks for having me. Yeah, man, we appreciate you coming on, man. We had some uh, some good old days back in the day, man. And, you know, Uh that's one thing about the tank, as you know, you've listened to some, some of the pods. I mean, that's what guys miss. They miss being able to shuck it up a little bit, talk some trash, and, and reminisce about some of the good old days. There's no doubt about it. And uh, we were talking about it before we got on air. Just uh, listening to these shows has made me realize, like, how lucky I was and uh, how much fun we had. What a great group of guys we had. And, you know, I, I tell this all the time whenever I talk to kids, coaches, players. It's like, you know, there is no better place in the world than an NFL locker room. Uh, there's no place where you're going to, every day, you're going to laugh as hard as you can possibly laugh. You're going to have a conversation with one of your buddies where you're in the same conversation. You're going to make fun of a body part, maybe his girlfriend, and something else from his personal life. And it's all like the funniest stuff you've ever heard. And that's every day. So, uh, yeah, just lucky to be uh, with you guys today and uh, and uh, reminisce a little bit. We're definitely going to reminisce today, Trace. And, and so, Juice, you know, as, as you know, every time we have a guest, I'm texting other guys to get some dirt, you know. And I've texted Trace quite a few times for some of these other guests we have. But I was blowing up the phone lines as we knew Trace was coming in. So, you know, Zach heard from me and Izzo heard from me, communicated Oof. with Mark Nixon this morning. So we're, we're going to have a lot of fun with Trace. But there's no way that I'm going to miss out on an opportunity. And I already alluded to it. We got to talk a little Florida Gators football. And I don't know if you know this, Juice, but Trace, when they look back at the 100-year anniversary team of the Florida Gators and they look at that defensive line, so Trace Armstrong's on there. And who else is on there? Jack Youngblood is on there. Wilbur Marshall's on there. I mean, and Kevin Carter, I believe. So Trace was an absolute Gator great. But your path to Gainesville from Alabama was not exactly um, – it wasn't a direct one. So talk a little bit about that. I don't even know how they let you out of the state in Alabama. But talk about how you went out west to finally come back to where you needed to be. Yes, I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. And, uh, you know, it was kind of an unusual player. I was a late developer. You know, I grew late in high school. And uh, it was a little bit of like an unusual recruit. So I grew late. I was like 6'4". At the end of my senior year, like 215 pounds, so I was kind of this unusual guy. I played linebacker in high school and, uh, you know, kind of a wing and a wing tee offense. So um, I think a lot of people had, like, 
trouble figuring out where I would play in college if I could play, but got recruited a bunch of places. And uh, I started off at Arizona State. And at 18, you know, my personality then, that was like the biggest adventure I could sign up for. It was, you know, over 2,000 miles away from home. Arizona State at that time had a really good team. And, uh, you know, you went out there and it was just literally like another planet, uh, you know, the way the campus was, the mountains, everything. So that was, and I thought I had a chance like every dumb freshman that, you know, oh, I've got a chance to play right away here. So uh, I go out there and ended up having uh, the year I graduated from high school was the first year for a rule called Proposition 48. And so the, the first year for the rule, you had to have a 2.0 grade point average. And so I went to a small Catholic school in Birmingham. You know, a lot of our, the way they did their grading was different than the traditional school. And so I go out to Arizona State, you know, start practicing my freshman year. And uh, the NCAA comes to Arizona State, so you can't practice, you're ineligible. And it was, you know, I couldn't understand it. It was like I had four years of Latin in high school. I had two years of chemistry. I had, they took calculus in high school and I'm like, wait a minute, I see a lot of these guys are telling me I'm academically ineligible. So uh, it turned into a big dispute with the NCAA and uh, we ended up threatening a lawsuit against the NCAA. And so they reinstated my uh, eligibility at Arizona State, gave me the option to appeal for the final year. So I think, well, this is just a big under- misunderstanding. Everybody's going to figure this out eventually. So I go in and start playing. Uh, Love my time at Tempe. Played for uh, John Cooper. Played on a Rose Bowl team where we beat Michigan. Jim Harbaugh's Michigan team. We beat them. Uh, if it that weren't for Chuck fun. Cecil, we would have gone to two other Rose Bowls. Uh, we couldn't beat Arizona. But uh, we were 11-1 and that Rose Bowl year. And, and I thought one of the best teams in the country had great Hall of Famers like Randall McDaniel. Eric Allen should be a Hall of Famer. Dan Sally Mua had a great career in the league, really a, a loaded football team. But um, so I get to my what's going to be my senior year, and they're supposed to file an appeal for my last year, and the NCAA denied me. And so they, at the time, you couldn't go on the draft. You know, so I was, a, you know, like a good, good enough student in college and did everything pretty much the right way. And you're saying, wait a minute, you're denying me my last year. And it was their way of penalizing Arizona State for not properly vetting my transcript before allowing me to practice. So I'm in this very tough situation where uh, I called an old coach of mine who was with the Lions. I coached, and I was in Shawnee Mission, Kansas. I drove my Monte Carlo there from Tempe, Arizona nice. for the hearing. And uh, while we're, you know, while we're in bowl practice, we're getting ready to play Air Force in the Freedom Bowl. And uh, I drive to the hearing. They deny my appeal. They said, you can go in the draft or you can transfer to any other Division One school and be eligible right away. So uh, I called a coach of mine that I had my freshman year at Arizona State. who was with the Lions. Um, he said, you're probably going to be a third round pick, which I was wildly happy with because at the time I had like, I had no juice. You know what it was like then. You had no idea, right? <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, there were no agents around me. Nobody was talking to me about any of that stuff. So when he said I'd be a third-round pick, I go, wow, that's great. I thought I was like a free agent guy, maybe something like that. And uh, he said, you should stay in school. So uh, I literally went through the recruiting process. So um, talked to Joe Paterno at Penn State. Now I like where this story's headed. Now I like where I had a great, we got a lot of, you and I got a lot of Penn State ties now, Juice. But um, yeah, so talk to Joe. He was phenomenal. 
phenomenal. Gave me great advice. You know, their scheme and what they did wasn't from me. They played a wide tackle six with guys in leapfrog stances. And I was like, I didn't want to do that. So I ended up picking Florida. And uh, it was literally one of the best things that ever happened to me. Played for, with some great guys, played for a great position coach, Rex Norris, who I'd actually had. He was a guy with the Lions. He ends up back at Florida and, and just really enjoyed my time here in Gainesville. You know, Chase, you know, we really want to talk about some of your Dolphin days, but, you know, yep. your NFL career didn't start here, obviously. And obviously, you know, the fact you went to Gainesville helped out a lot because instead of being a third-round pick, you being the 11th overall pick in 1989 by the Chicago Bears. And while, you know – you were a few years removed from that, that Super Bowl shuffle they did. <laughs> yep. What was it like being a defensive rookie to walk in the locker room when you got guys like Mike Singletary, Richard Dent, Refrigerator Perry, Dan Hampton, so on and so forth, so many guys? It was uh, incredible, but initially it was tough. You know, I was a first-round pick, and, you know, we had a uh, – you know, Buddy Ryan had been the defensive coordinator there, but it, Buddy had moved on to the Eagles. It was a very tough culture for a young player. And uh, I borrowed money from my mom and dad right after I got drafted to move up there so I could start working out. And uh, the club said, well, we can't pay you. They wouldn't even let me be in the locker room with the rest of the team. So I got dressed in the basement (laughs) and would go up and work out every day and then, you know, shower upstairs and then go down to the basement to change. So it was very, uh, you know, it was a true meritocracy. It didn't matter if you were a first-round pick, whatever it was. So it, it was a difficult environment. I was a long-term holdout as a rookie, so all the guys were mad at me. Oh, so that and probably Mike just Dick, added fuel to the fire, right? Oh, yeah. So, you know, Mike Dick had called my mom and dad, said my agent was ruining my career, <laughs> that uh, I may not even play for him uh, this year. Yeah, it came in, and, like, so I, you come in and you think, okay – I signed the day before the last preseason game and uh, I came in and they were mad at me. You know, Dick has said to me, are you in shape? I said, yes. He said, good, because you're going to play a lot tonight. So we played uh, <laughs> San Diego and I played every snap in the last preseason game, wow. like from going from nothing to a whole game. So that was my start with them, but it ended up being great. I loved it. I loved the guys. We had some of the all-time best characters, Dan Hampton, Steve McMichael, Richard Dent, William Perry. That was my D-line room, and uh, we had uh, lots of fun together. There was an old football movie called North Dallas 40, and I always say if you want to know what it was like playing for the Bears then, it was the director's version of North Dallas 40. You know, it's funny you say that D-line room. I think about the D-line room you ended up in here in Miami, and we're going to get to that in a yep. second. And and there were some characters there too, but they were just, you know, there's no – obviously you were prepared for that group if you, if you went through the gauntlet with these guys <laughs> in Chicago. That's crazy. That's crazy. So – there's a story that, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time in Chicago, but there's a story that you told me, and it was about your first game you ever played. And uh, so you guys open up at Cincinnati, and there's a pretty good guy over there at left tackle, the best really who ever did it in Anthony Munoz. Talk about that experience of having to be a rookie who didn't even have a lot of time in camp and what it was like to go up against the absolute legend in Anthony Munoz. So I play uh, that first game against San Diego. It was a big right tackle named Irv Eatman. Irv was this like just statuesque big player with like literally arms like telephone poles. And I hadn't played football since, you know, my last game in college. So play against Irv in that first game. And then I was so sore 
all week from going from zero to playing a whole game. And, uh, you know, Richard uh, ended up hurting his foot. And so in that game, our first game against the Bengals, I played a bunch of right end against Anthony Munoz. And it was terrible. He erased me. Like, I didn't have a tackle. I didn't have an assist. I didn't get anywhere close to the quarterback. And what made it worse was he was just so nice. <laughs> he would be blocking me and he would talk to me like, Trace, boy, you really play hard. And, oh, yeah, I like, you know, I like what you do. And, you know, come out of your stance really good. Like, this is while he's got his hands on me and he's just, like, pushing me around. And I was so mad, so frustrated after the game. And I That's wanted great. to be mad. And he comes running across the field and hugs me and gives me a little pep talk. And uh, I got to be honest, like it impacted my confidence for a, a big part of my rookie year because he just totally dominated me. <laughs> and you start, you should know what it's like. You start mm-hmm. wondering, like, oh, man, do I belong here? Right. Oh, yeah, my so God. That was uh, it was a r- rough first couple of weeks on the job. But it sounds uh, like he, he like he knew he was going to dominate you. So he didn't want to break a young player's confidence. So he told you you were great. Like you tell your kid, hey, good job. And your kid knows he did a horrible job. And he's <laughs> I just think Anthony was like one of the all-time nice guys. Every time I ever saw him, he was always smiling and great handshake. And uh, such a great uh, man. Yeah, that's well, not me. That's not my personality. I'm not jealous. <laughs> Somebody must have noticed your greatness because I know my first interaction was with Trace was through Tech Mobile when I was in the late, playing in the late '80s and early '90s. <laughs> and I played as the Eagles, and Trace Armstrong used to kill me uh, every time Randall Cunningham would get sacked. It would be Trace Armstrong. Should have traded for Anthony. Munoz. <laughs> Maybe that should go. There you go. No trades to Tecmo Bowl back then. That's for damn sure. That 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 wasn't part of it. You had a glitch going, right? Oh yeah, there, 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 that was an error. Yeah, somebody made a mistake there, or maybe my agent paid off uh, Nintendo or something. Oh man, hey, the truth's the truth, Trace. Man, it's all good, man. You know, we also read that you recognized your sense of humor as early as your rookie year in Chicago, and I know firsthand that that followed you right here to Miami. So let's talk about, you know, how much you enjoyed a good prank. You know, what are some of your best pranks and who, who were some of those victims that were? You oh, man. Um, gosh, that's a, there were a bunch. Um, so, I, yeah, I love practical jokes. You know, you're together all the time. Yep. And, you know, part of what we do is, you know, stressful. People don't realize that, you know, you're hurt, you're managing an injury, you're going out there, you're going to go through one of Jimmy Johnson's middle drills. And, you know, so part of what you do to kind of manage all that is you want to laugh, you know, so I would do like crazy things. Uh, You know, we had sophisticated pranks. One of my favorites was to like Vaseline guys, their hairbrush or put Vaseline (laughs) on literally anything they would touch. So they always had Vaseline on their hands. So like particularly, you know, during camp, if you knew a guy was like going to go out, maybe try to see a girl or something like that, I would put Vaseline on his hairbrush. So he'd get all done and then brush his hair. And then he'd just have this mat of Vaseline <laughs> down the center of his hair. So, but yeah, I had like sophisticated ones. You know, we placed a personal ad for Brad Roll, uh, our strength coach at the time. <laughs> we placed a personal ad for him in every NFL city that we visited. So it was always fun to see how that worked out tying knots in guys' jeans and throwing them in the dryer so when they got done with practice, you know, they couldn't put their pants on. Uh, cut the bottom out of guys' underwear so when they put it on, it looked like a dress. And Yeah, that's just kind of garden variety. There were what more about there were the, uh, 
the the polish on the windows the the, the shoe polish on the windows so juice you remember what it was like like during training camp and you know where you're just like if you got an hour to yourself that was like a big deal or two hours you go see your wife go see your girlfriend go see your family whatever it was so i would always plan you know around that and i would pick one or two guys where i would take the white shoe polish they would have and i would i would draw things on their car can't say what right now, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would put things on their car. And so they'd walk out of practice. They're fired up. Man, I got a couple hours before I get to jump on the plane or, or uh, be back here for a meeting. And now they got to make a decision. Do I want to leave this on my car or and uh, see people have a little free time? Or do I want to go get my car washed? So those were things that... Uh, yeah, we took a lot of pride in doing it. <laughs> I love it. And we're definitely going to talk some more about some of these pranks as we get into some of the the, the specifics of the characters that, that you got really close with. But let's talk about that transition to uh, from Chicago to Miami. So you were traded yep. to the Dolphins in 95, spent a year under Coach Shula. Um, and then, as we all know, Coach Shula retired at the end of the 95 season. 96, in comes Jimmy Johnson. And there's a huge veteran purge, like a huge purge uh, of players that, that both you and Juice had gotten really close with and played with it was a little touch and go there with you for a while and, and, and but you survived that and ultimately you and Jimmy built a nice relationship but it wasn't easy going from the beginning walk us through that well it started you know when Jimmy got in there literally they talked about you know high price veterans on the roster and my name was used as an example you know, so high-priced veterans such as Trace Armstrong, right. you know, will probably not be on the roster. And then in 95, I, I had a non-union fracture in my wrist that I played about eight games with. And then uh, I had my ankle reconstructed that same year. So, you know, during the minicamp period, I had a cast from my knuckles to my armpit for almost six months. And then my second ankle reconstruction, so I had a cast on my leg. We could go to the first mini camp, which Juice, as you know, was full go. Yeah, it was just pure barbarian training grounds. And uh, so I'm the president of the Players Association at the time. You know, we're breaking the rules. And I'm the guy with a cast on his leg and a cast on his arm and who's already been in the newspaper. And I've got to go up and tell Jimmy we can't do this. And um, I remember I'm going through the locker room. I call my wife and I said, hey, you know, they're they're probably going to cut me today. Uh, I got to have a conversation with Coach Johnson. And she's like, oh, why would they cut you? Why would they do something like that? Right, and I just, right. honey, it's, it's happening. I called my banker and said, I'm going to get cut here in about 15 minutes. Wow. And so I go up and uh, they remember we had brought Jack Del Rio in as kind of the, Jimmy had brought him in as kind of Jimmy's veteran. Jack was on the executive committee and uh, of the Players Association. I went to Jack and I said, hey, I got to go talk to Jimmy. It'd be great if you come with me. And Jack said, I can't do it. You're on your own. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Wow. Yeah, that's Jack. And I'll never forget it. Um, I'll never wow. forget it. So I go up there and have that conversation with Coach Johnson. And he literally came over his desk at me. He was mad, and you know, I told him, we got rules. They're not my rules, and we got to follow them. You came in. You gave us rules. We got to follow them. I said, just the way it is. And uh, he told me, we'll see how that works out for you. So literally. <laughs> that was the line? Oh, my uh, God. Something along, those, <laughs> something along those lines. Maybe an expert yeah, so that, in there, I'd imagine. So that's, that's kind of how it went. And then uh, we went into camp, and you know, I was not doing well. 
you know, I shouldn't have been practicing. I wasn't ready to practice. My ankle wasn't ready. And uh, I mean, it was literally like a big, red, angry grapefruit every day. Uh, Jeff Cross was a great player, got hurt in camp. Steve Entman got hurt in camp. So I'm taking a ton of reps and my body's not ready to play. I know we had a first preseason game against Tampa and uh, I was going to retire. It was like, I can't, the pain's too much. I'm not playing. I can't run. I can't do anything. And uh, I was waiting for a time to get Jimmy and couldn't get him. So uh, we go out and play against Tampa. I end up playing almost the whole game uh, and end up getting a couple of sacks. And I end up saying, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to get up tomorrow. I'm going to go to practice and see how it goes. But I literally, there were two points there where I thought my career was over. And I didn't know, you know, I had more fun after that than I did probably in the first chapter of my career. You know, something else happened in 96 too, Trace. You know, two undersized linebackers from Texas joined the team. And, of course, we're talking <laughs> about Zach Thomas and uh, Larry Izzo. I imagine we could talk about that relationship with you guys for forever. For the whole episode, we could probably talk about that, you know. But what is it that made you three so damn close, man? Well, I think, you know, first was, like, passion for the game. That was number one. So, like, how like I connected with, with Zach, I'll never forget it. I mean, it was uh, minicamp his rookie year, and uh, we're talking in the cold plunge. And, you know, I thought, okay, you know, because, I mean, we all saw it, right, in that minicamp. I mean, he made almost every play. Had great Mike linebacker instincts, great hustle of ball, all that stuff. So we had we had a good talk, you know, about, you know, what it took to succeed in the league. and. Uh, you know, so it, it just, there was that spark, but it just started for, with a passion for the game. And you weren't and a then, Del Rio fan at that point, we know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna judge any man, you know, when it comes to uh, that, I'm just gonna let it speak for itself. Yeah, it's a business decision by Jack. Uh, well, I mean, right. we'll see right. how that worked out for him. Actually, he's, you know what, he's, he's made a great career as a coach. Anyway, yeah, yeah. sorry to interrupt the story. <laughs> no, so that's where it started. And then, you know, the same thing with Larry. You know, Larry was, he was another one of those guys where, you know, he was five foot nine and a half, uh, whatever he was. And, uh, but you saw him in that mini camp make a ton of plays. And you could see the linebacker instincts. And you're thinking, okay, he's too small. He's too this, he's too that. But again, it was through, you know, those couple of mini camps and all the endless OTAs we had that year. Um, you could see both these guys had great passion for the game and great instinct and feel for the game. And so that's kind of where it started. And, you know, for me, they kind of revitalized me in their own way, just being young and having that energy and having the whole thing in front of them. So, you know, I like to think I was good for them, but I know they were good for me in that, you know, they kind of got me laughing and really enjoying playing again. Yeah, it's amazing how that works out, right? You never know. Yeah. They probably never know the influence they had on you and, and vice versa, man. But I'm sure they recognize what you did for them, but they don't know what they did for you along the way. Oh, it, it was great. And, you know, we had such a good situation. And, you know, I would come back to Gainesville in the off season, And that was a real advantage for me because when I would, you know, hop in the car and drive to Miami, I could not wait to get in my D-line room. I couldn't wait to see everybody. I couldn't wait to see Jason, Lorenzo Bromel, Kenny Mixon, Tim Bowens, and then, you know, Zach, Larry, everybody. 
you know, Dick's just couldn't wait to see everybody. And I come in and just literally it was, I was like a kid at Christmas. <laughs> well, clearly you guys were close. There's no denying that. And they do. I mean, even in the text messages, they sent me some great stuff. And at the end of it, both of them were like, you got to talk about how important and instrumental he was to our career and even post-career. But Trace, they also claim that you were the ringleader in nearly drowning them outside of the elbow room. Uh, so we've heard Zach's side of the story, but we want to know, what really happened? What's the real story of what went down at the elbow room? Oh, man. So we had finished, just finished, uh, you know, our three-a-day mini camp. <laughs> three days of three-a-days. Juice, as you remember that, right? They would be, they would shoot coaches for uh, today for what they, they did to us then. So we finished three-a-days, probably not very dehydrated, you know, probably in great condition. And we go out and we start across the street at the Falcon Pub with a group of guys. And then it goes from the Falcon Pub to the Elbow Room. But I'm kind of uh, egging everyone on as far as how much we're drinking and, and not. So there was a long-going competition that day of who could shoot a beer the fastest. You know, there was a time in my life where I was really good at that. <laughs> there was no way that either one of those guys were going to beat me, but I kept egging him on and saying, well, you almost had me. You were just this close. You were a little late getting the bottle up. And so they kept going again and again. But what they didn't realize is that, like, after a while, I'm sitting, I'm sitting a lot of these out while they're still going and drinking with Shane Burton. And Oh, boy. Another one. Yeah. Yeah, Shane Burt was there. And uh, so we end up at the elbow room, and I'm not sure how it came up, but there ended up being a, a bet that somebody couldn't swim out to this buoy. <laughs> uh, I might have been behind the idea. I might not have. But uh, so that's how it all started. Uh, it got kind of out of hand, but those guys jump in the water. Uh, the surf, the shore break was really bad that day. And the first time, Larry couldn't get out through the shore break. Like literally he was getting flipped over backwards and he couldn't get through the shore break. But, uh, you know, Zach uh, got through there and, you know, got out to the buoy. And so there are about, I'm going to say, four or 500 people watching this. Oh, my God. So a big crowd. Um, there's a pot of money at stake. And uh, Zach gets out there to the buoy. He thinks he's going to be able to rest on the buoy. <laughs> he gets there. The buoy just sinks, you know, it's a bobber, it's just floating there. And then there are a bunch of crabs by the buoy and the crabs jumped all over him and he flipped out and uh, starts like swimming back in because these crabs are all over him. And uh, he gets, you know, probably a third of the way in and he's not looking good. So we're standing in the crowd, everybody's watching. And uh, there was a guy there, he was actually a Marine. And uh, he goes, hey, your friend's not doing too good. And, no uh, shit. Yeah, it's like yeah. So we're like thinking: Do we call the police? Do we call nine one one? And uh, he said, "If you want, I can go out there and get him." And I said, "Yeah, I think you should do that." And so this guy jumped in the water, you know, cut right through the, the shore break and scooped Zach up and brought him home. You know, Izzo was basically passed out on the beach most of the time because the effort for him trying to get through the shore break break completely drain him but literally it was I'm, I'm telling you it was scary it, it was a lot of fun and then it was scary and then you know once Zach got saved we were all euphoric and so just the day continued <laughs> uh, the night finished with uh, Zach and I having to talk about life in a Denny's at a 
about uh, I think two o'clock in the morning or what something. A long like day. That. You guys <laughs> killed it. Longest day ever. It was a long day. <laughs> oh my god. Long and day. I wonder where that marine is now. We got to find this guy. Yeah. This guy somehow somebody knows this guy. But you, I remember you said it. You said he cut through that water like friggin' Aquaman. <laughs> like he was... Oh yeah, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. It was you know we're probably he had not had as many beers as the rest of us had had and <laughs> and we just. Like it. Yeah, we were probably marveling at anybody that could uh, walk in a straight line at that point. And you know, also remember Shane Burton tied her by that that straw beer chug thing, right? Is that what he was? That, that wasn't even fair if he was doing that to those guys. Oh, that that was a big part of it. So it was all part of an elaborate plan, and uh, those guys, <laughs> those guys walked right into it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, Shane's. Hey, Seth, you have to understand now. Shane takes a straw and burns it about a third of the way up, and then he curls it over into like a Corona bottle, and it takes all the air out. So the beer comes down, and he can drink, he can drink a whole beer in less than two seconds. Oh, yeah. It goes yeah. down that fast. So that became, obviously, for Ezo and Zach, any challenge like that, they're all of course. in. You know what well, I mean? They had to compete. And they, <laughs> they were competing against everybody and each other at the same time. So it was just a recipe for disaster. Oh, th- there is no doubt. It was all competition all the time. We used to like race. If we we're going to go grab something to eat, it would be who could get there first. And it was literally all the time. Competition never goes away when it comes to athletes, man. I, I play my kids and stuff now. I'm not going to give them an easy win. It's going to be a tough year. <laughs> whatever it is. I don't tiddlywinks, basketball, whatever it is, it's going to be a, it's going to be a hard way for them. Jeez, you always had the, the basketball court at your house. That was legendary with yeah. the guys and the competitions that happened there. We never got you out there for basketball. Dude, I had like 21 surgeries. <laughs> like I, I was going <laughs> to – we need to get in the first group, yeah. Yeah, I was going to play football, and then that was literally, it took like all the king's horses and all the king's men to put me together for the next week. Well, then he was getting double-digit sacks a year when he was here, too, so he, they put him together. Yeah, and you know, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, definitely, some, some guys are really good with what they do, man. So, you know, Trace, I mean, the, the Iron Man that you were, though, man, because, you know, people don't realize how many surges athletes do go through in a career and to still be up there, be able to go out there and play at a high level, man. So it's a compliment to you and the rehab and, you know, enduring guys like Jimmy Johnson that put that pressure on you a lot of times to, you know, get out of the tub and get on the field, you know? Yeah, I, you know, I've, I've, you know, I was so lucky. I really was. You know, I, uh, I had really good people uh, to help me, one, do the surgeries that I had and then, then just get better. So I was really lucky in that regard. You know, the strength coach for a team was always my best friend. You know, so in Miami, it was John Gamble, but really Brad Roll. And, you know, I started my morning every morning, two tuna bagels, a cup of coffee and uh, and heavy weights in there with uh, me and Brad. That's how, you know, that was that defined my Miami experience. Uh, we would do the crossword puzzle uh, in the morning and lift heavy weights. So uh, we know you're a big weight room guy. I, I think, um, and not just a guy who liked to work out, but I always was, was impressed with the, you know, they talk about sports science now. I always felt you were ahead of the curve yeah. on those things and, and really good for a lot of our younger guys to help prolong their career. And, you know, that's, they talk about the things that don't show up in the box score juice, those types of relationships. When you think about Zach going to get hyperbaric chambers or the different things guys are doing, <laughs> so much of that started with Trace. Right. But you and Brad had a very unique relationship as well. Give us a good B-roll story. Oh, Brad roll. <laughs> uh, Brad oh. was... Oh. Brad was a, a strength coach uh, 
at uh, the University of Miami during the glory years. So he and Jimmy had a relationship going back to Miami. And, uh, you know, I thought Brad's gift was he could take guys that didn't like to work and get them to work. And he had a great way about him. He'd just say, hey, I just come in for 20 minutes today. We're going to work on this. And, hey, oh, you look great. You look great. That's going good. And then watch him in the game. He said, man, you know, I saw, you know, I could tell, like, you know, the these, you know, lunges that we're doing are paying off. You got more pop out of your stance. And so he would, you know, work on those one-to-one relationships to kind of pull guys into the room. You know, John had his own way too. And those were, those were two really like exceptional guys as far as the strength coach has got to be somebody that everybody wants to be around. You know, because you're you go through a tough practice. Look, it, it's hard to you know, especially in season, to want to go in there and do what you got to do to be ready to play. So both those guys were exceptional. Brad was this like crazy guy, lifetime bachelor, had a, a Harley a condo on the beach. You know, he was probably more like most of our players and like what he liked to do after after his day job was <laughs> over. Uh, you know, big baseball fan. So yeah, Brad and I had a lot of fun together. That was great for me in that, you know, not so much like in the programming stuff because, you know, I, I, I kind of did all that on my own, but just going in there, having camaraderie, like having really good conversations and then, you know, having like a set of eyes when you're, you're kind of doing some of the crazy stuff you got to do in the weight room to, to be able to play. Well, so Todd Wade was just in the tank. And, yep. and as much as we know you and Brad did have a great relationship, there was that playoff game in Oakland. And uh, it was after we, you know, unfortunately, the last time the Dolphins won a playoff game, we beat the Colts, go out to Oakland, does not go well. And it's, it's it. The season's over. Guys have a long trip back and guys are just, that's it. It's a full year. Some of us are never going to play with each other again. And they're, they're yep. letting their hair down. Brad took issue with it. Todd said that, that Brad kind of approached you and felt like maybe you had let him down. Yeah, I remember that. We, um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we, we had a good team that year. Probably not good enough. I mean, Oakland was a really good team. I ended up joining that team. You know, we should have gone to the Super Bowl that 2001 year if it weren't for the tough rule. And uh, we, it would have, I think, been us in the Super Bowl that year, Oakland. So that was a really good team. Yeah, Brad took issue with it. And you, you and I had disagreements. I mean, there's no <laughs> doubt about it. So uh, I don't like to talk about stuff like that publicly. <laughs> okay. I'll just so say that. Like, to... Brad, and I, Brad and I had a tense conversation. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. That All right, so, so we'll leave that alone, Trace. We'll leave that alone. <laughs> Oh, no, it was definitely like, hey, uh, you know, do you really want to do this in here? And because uh, I'll do it. In right? that condition. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you want to if you want to keep going. Um, some yeah, some but, grown uh, man shit, right? It's just some grown man shit. That's all it is. You just got to say at some point your behavior is unacceptable. Right. And if you're not going to stop, <laughs> I'm going to stop you. <laughs> Great stuff, Chase. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you know what else from, you know, you talk about your relationship with, with Izzo and the guys on the team, man. But I know you also had a, a pretty good relationship with a guy, you know, who's been in the tank a couple of times. And that's one of the, my best friends right now, Stu Weinstein. Oh. Yeah. Talk about that relationship and some of the things that you and Stu used to get into. Stu was our director of security and he was this fascinating guy. Somebody should write a book about him because he was a private detective for a while. And, uh, He's still, I think, you know, probably one of the best security guys in the entire league. You look at him and what he, you know, he was able, you know, Stu was our security guy, part team psychologist, 
part bodyguard. Uh, he filled so many roles for the Dolphins. Uber driver but, uh, before there was Uber, right? All yeah. that. Stu had this office right off the parking lot. So when you would walk in, you had to pass Stu in his office. And it was part of his role as a spy for the front office where he's saying who, who looks good, who doesn't look good. But I would always stop and talk to Stu. And, you know, he and I formed a friendship. We used to, my, on off days, we'd go to a target range and shoot pistols. Stu is our security guy. He couldn't see, and he could absolutely not shoot. And, you know, he and I shot together most Tuesdays for a lot of years, and he never got any better. He would, you know, travel armed. And I would be like, hey, Stu, just whatever you do, just don't pull that out anywhere where I'm near because I had seen him shoot. Yeah. But, but he was a great guy, cared about the players, helped guys get out of jams and help guys through things. Uh, he was such a part of the success we had and, you know, the way he, you know, he really did want to look out for you. You know, he wasn't one of these gotcha security guys. He would come to you a lot of times and say, Hey, you know, you probably want to stay out of that place. So, uh, yeah, he was, uh, he was a gem and, and he belongs somewhere in some Dolphins Hall of Fame. Yeah. He definitely does. Well, he's already in the Fish Tank Hall of Fame, but I didn't know he couldn't. I, I didn't know he couldn't shoot, Juice. You know, we had Randall Thrill on here who says that he's like the most deadly uh, shooter, most accurate shooter on the planet. Right. I always felt comfortable because Stu had that thing strapped to his ankle. I didn't know that if he pulled it out that we all needed a duck like Jim Druckenmiller was throwing the ball or something. Oh, oh, oh no. No, he couldn't shoot. <laughs> not only could he not shoot, I mean, there was a time when I was pretty good. And like he wouldn't take coaching either. Oh, no. <laughs> so, wasn't coaching. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like, all right, I just it's like you watch him. I, I just can't watch this every week. I was like, well, maybe you should. And uh, no, he never got well, any happened. better. Well, we're gonna jump around a little bit here. But you talked about, you know, we talked about Zach and Izzo. Uh, Izzo eventually, as we know, moved on to New England. Zach was still here. There's a story, and it was kind of a developing story that I love. Uh, and it was after you had retired and you would move back up to Gainesville. Of course, I went to Florida, loved Florida basketball, took shit from the guys all the time about loving Florida basketball, but they wanted to come up and see it. So one year it was Dixon, then the next year it was Zach. And then, of course, the next year JT came on board. And, and so, Juice, we would always go to the game. But we would always have dinner at Trace's house. And God knows what it would lead to when that would happen. Talk a little bit about those trips and what it was like <laughs> when, when we brought that circus up to you. Well, one, it, it was awesome. Because, you know, Juice, you know, I mean, once, once you're out, uh, you know, you're still – you got friends on the team. So you're still watching the games. You still care about them. And, you know, you, you know, that, that was a real treat for me. Uh, you know, that was a trip that I look forward to you guys making every year. And it's a little bit like as an old guy who's not there, you're kind of like hoping uh, these guys are going to come up and see me this year. <laughs> and uh, so, but literally when you guys came in, it was like the Beatles came to town. Or I'd have to pick like a new boy band. We'd have a dinner at my house and then go to the game. And it was always a spectacle. Like the whole student section knew that uh, that these guys were there. And then we'd go out on the town and uh, like we would go from place to place. And there would literally be like a, a group of 50 kids that would literally follow us from establishment to establishment. <laughs> and uh, it, it, things 
always fun, always ended up in a good place. But uh, yeah, there were some, we had some adventures. Yeah, we definitely did. And we talked a little bit about this one on the show, but the one time where Jason and Zach were both there and they sat with you in the, uh, they sat with you in the alumni section and then Dixon and I were sitting like two sections over and they had those shirts. Remember they had the orange and blue t-shirts and guys didn't want to put on the shirts. Talk about that moment. Oh, so yeah, they had these shirts that, uh, you know, they, uh, like you give them out before the game. So sometimes they're orange, sometimes they're blue, you know, Jason and Zach didn't want to put the shirts on. And so they literally were getting taunted by the student section and ribbed by the student section. So it turned into like in-game entertainment. <laughs> the student section ripping Zach, uh, uh, Zach and Jason for not putting the shirts on. And honestly, I don't remember if they put them on or not. Oh, they put them on. So Zach put his on first. You know, you know Zach That's has right. to be the good guy. He put his on first. But they kept looking over their shoulder, Trace, because we're over to your left. And Dixon's just giving them the evil eye. And he's like, basically, you're never going to live this down if you put that damn shirt on. And so Zach put it on. And then JT didn't. And they kept screaming, put on the shirt. And, you know, Ron Zook's sitting there on the sidelines looking and everybody's like it just became it took away from the game and i think you said oh it was it was in-game entertainment there was no <laughs> doubt about it i mean it was oh, uh, it a thing every it time insane. out everything yeah. yeah but trace told jt finally and i think we've mentioned here before he's like look it's gonna be like this all game if you don't put on that damn right. shirt so he finally put it on uh, it was glorious well you know we always love talking about you know guys and their, their football careers and especially about their their post football careers man and i've always been intrigued by you know, you move to the agent side of things. How'd that come to be? And if I'm not mistaken, I think you might have represented a former Miami Dolphin football coach here at one point, right? That's or right. That? Joe Philbin. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. exactly. Joe. Um, yeah, so I kind of got into this by accident. You know, I, I got done playing in 2003. And then uh, I started with a buddy of mine from college, this company called GoFit. We sell fitness accessories and especially fitness equipment to big box retailers like Dick Sporting Goods and Walmart and Target. And it just, um, you know, I was looking for something else. Uh, I wanted to be connected to the game. You know, I was the president of our union for a long time, and I'd always kind of thought that at some point I would go back and do that. But, you know, while I was out, I had a coach that called me that uh, said, hey, I know you're close with this owner. I'm interested in talking to him about the job. Would you mind calling him for me? said, yep, I'll do that. And uh, so I did that. And then he called me back and he said, they gave me a contract. You know, can you help me with that? And I'm like, well, you know, I think so. And uh, that's literally how I got started in it. So um, it reminded me, I love being a player. I mean, I would write a check for everything I got right now. I'd go back, I'd do it all over again, every second of it. But, um, you know, I enjoyed my time with the union equally as much. You know, I like being advocates for players. You know, we did a lot of great things. You know, we fought for free agency. It's, un it's inconceivable to guys now, this kind of league without free agency. You know, the right for a second medical opinion, the 401k plan that we have. These are all things that we accomplished while, you know, I was working uh, with the union. So I always thought I'd go back and do that. But the, the work I do now was the closest thing to that. It made me feel the same way. So, um, you know, we represent, you know, a bunch of NFL and NCAA coaches have a little bit of a media practice. And so, you know, it keeps me close to the game. I really enjoy it. I work. I'm really lucky. I mean, you just you get to work with, you know, like Penn State coach James Franklin. James is a dear friend, but a great man, unbelievably smart and driven guys like Brian Kelly, Ryan Day, you know, Lincoln Riley. 
you know, some of these, you know, giants in the game. And then, you know, on the NFL side, you know, coaches like, you know, Mike McCarthy, you know, Matt Rule. So it's, uh, it's, it's really fun. Keeps me in it a little bit. Now, Juice, so during the filming years, so here's the thing about Trace. Number one, you're going to learn from Trace. You can't have a conversation with Trace without learning something and just walking away knowing more than you did beforehand. But the other thing is, is that if you are just, it doesn't matter how diametrically opposed in, in position you are, he's going to make you think a little bit or think twice or maybe am I wrong? But no, I just don't agree with what he's saying, but he's going to be more studied than you are. He's going to have no, so you can't even argue with <laughs> oh, him. Man. He just has more facts to pour out. But when Philbin was in and I cut Chase, man, you guy, you know, I don't know. And he said, well, no, no. You know, and he would, he would present a side and I'd go back. Well, maybe we'll, maybe things will get turned around or maybe there's other reasons. And so I, I'm sure that makes you a hell of an agent. Uh, but because I know we've had more than one of those conversations in the past. Oh, you know, well, we look at them like businesses. So like, it, it's so tough when a coach takes a job, it's kind of a shotgun wedding, you know, phone rings, you do a four hour interview, six hour interview, whatever it is. And it's, are you going to take the job? Okay. And so that was part of what attracted me to this side of the business. It's like, there's gotta be a way. Yes. You think about it. A guy's going to make a life choice. An organization's going to make an organizational choice in four hours. Right. And so, you know, we try to figure out a way, is there a better way for our clients to help them go through the process? So we really look at these places, the schools, the teams, like businesses. And, you know, if you're in the NFL side, you got player acquisition, you got, which is your front office, you got player development, which is coaching and all the other things that impact that, your training room, all that stuff. And then you got player finance and they've all got to overlap. And so we, you know, make studies of these and say, okay, who does a great job? Who does a bad job? So in our role to try to help our guys make good decisions, you know, we, we kind of do deep dives into these places and, and try to understand them as best we can. Well, it's interesting to hear you say that too, Trey. And I'm going completely off script. I'm sorry, Juice. But it's interesting to hear Trey say that because I remember when you were still playing, you would say to me, you know what the problem is when these teams are making these decisions is everybody spends all millions and millions of dollars evaluating players, but no one evaluates coaches, personnel men, general managers, and like they should, and, and you broke this whole thing down for me. So I, I remember you were still playing when you said that. And you're like, they should know, you know, what are the results of every draft pick? How many guys went to the Pro Bowl after they signed him as a free agent? And you said all these things. And I was like, wow, I don't know who would be evaluating those things. And, and so it, it sounds like you guys as an agency have taken that position um, to provide those tools. Yeah, we look at a lot of things. We study, you know, uh, you know, a number of those things, like how they allocate, how clubs allocate resources uh, versus another. Uh, you look at transactional volume, types of transactions, all of it. You know, coaches get objectified by wins and losses. That part of it's easy. It's like, how do you objectify the rest of the organization? Fair. And and so we try as best you can to, you know, come up with some guidelines or at least a point of view. So when a guy gets a job, kind of kind of goes in and says, okay, I got some idea what I'm dealing with. But you take a young coach, particularly a coach that's been a coordinator and uh, hadn't been a head coach before, it can take them two or three years to figure out what parts of the building are broken. And by that time, you stacked up a bunch of losses and, you know, you're, you end up getting fired. So, yeah. yeah, that's a fun part of the job, you know, for us. It keeps it keeps us in it, keeps me in it. 
and uh, and we do the same thing for the college coaches too. Let me say this, Big Seth. You know, I appreciate you guys, Trace, keeping uh, Coach Frank Franklin in Penn State, getting <laughs> him there first, and keeping him there. More importantly, man, what a perfect fit, you know, for for the young man and for the university. Man, you talk about him, man, his class, his swagger, his attention to detail, his emphasis on the guys doing the right things, going to class. You know, what I mean, it's a he's a he's he's so current with everything. You know, the social media stuff, man. But we we really appreciate that and I'm glad you found that Penn State was a perfect fit for him in my opinion <laughs> it, it was it was you know you know working with somebody like James it, it makes it's a very gratifying part of my job is you're trying to help this amazingly successful talented guy get to where he wants to go so uh, yeah it's it's been fun it really has he, he is he is one in a million you know what helped me in this in my current role it was playing for honestly for guys like Jimmy and you know playing for Jimmy John Gruden Mike Dick uh, Don Shula so you know in me and my role I know what great looks like so you can sit down with one of these guys you know Jimmy's one drive right his drive and his energy his uh, intellect very similar in some ways to John Gruden you know, Mike Ditko, you know, like all passion, right? Just pure passion. So the guys that I played for, you know, Don Shula just being, you know, a great man. I'll never forget, you know, Don serving as an altar boy for the masses, you know, the team masses before the game. And that idea of like servant leadership you know, made such a big impression on me. So all those guys, you know, helped me in the work I'm doing today. Well, I, I know you are working, Trace. We can see it in the background. Somebody's probably losing money somewhere because you're spending all this time with us. But I do have one last question for you with the agency. Yeah. And I don't, I, I don't know how many people know this, but Drew, so years and years and years ago, Trace calls me. He goes, what do you think of Dan Lebetard? I said, Dan's a good guy. He's a hell of a writer. I, I mean, to me, Dan's a poet, you know, and I said, now sometimes he'll take guys down a path. He goes, no, 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 no. I'm talking about from a representation perspective. I said, wait a minute. So Trace, you have been Dan's agent since the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I started, you know, with basically coaching and, and front office people and uh, the company I was at at the time, we didn't really have a sports media representation side of the business. And so, I kept saying we need to do this. We need to do this because we have players and coaches that transition and, and want to go into the booth. And so finally, I said, "The heck with it. I'll do it." So uh, you know, I went to the the head of all the networks and said, "Hey, I'm thinking about getting into this business. I don't know why any of them met with me, but they did." And said, so "I'm thinking about getting into this business. And tell me what you think." And, and so I thought, like, who are the really smart people out there that um, you know I care what they think about in the world of sports? And so Dan was one of them. Uh, at the time, he said, "You know, I want to do a national TV show." I want to do a national radio show, but I don't want to leave the city of Miami, which, you know, at the time, it's like, like saying, literally, I want to man the Mars mission. But uh, we convinced ESPN to do it and build a studio. and On South and, Beach. Uh, yeah, in South Beach. Exactly right. Yeah, Lucy called distance. me. He said, "This is a Trace Armstrong special. I'm building a. We're building a studio for Dan in the Clevelander. We need to get yep. him to represent the fish tank. That's what we need. Right? Yeah. <laughs> the elbow got, room. Juice wants one in the elbow room. You guys, are, you guys are making it happen uh, all on your own. But uh, yeah, so Dan's a great friend. Uh, I think he's really smart. He's got some really fun people around him, and 
I think he's a great voice in sports right now, especially with what's going on right now. I think he's a great voice for sports. So, uh, yeah, very proud to call him a friend. It's been, and he's been fun to work with, there's no doubt. Well, we are proud to call you a friend and certainly proud now to call you a guest in the fish tank because it's been far too long to make this happen. But greatly appreciate you. Oh, man, I feel like I should have been funnier today. <laughs> oh, you were great, Trace. <laughs> awesome. Oh, man, awesome. so good, man. <laughs> good stuff. I had a question for you, Trace, and I could be completely wrong, and I brought this up to Seth the other day. He didn't know if this was accurate or not. But I had heard a story that when you had mentioned being the head of the NFLPA during your time with the Dolphins, and I had heard a story that you had taken the collective bargaining agreement and kind of broken it down into layman's terms so all the players would be able to better understand basically what, you know, the rules and of engagement when it came to their code of conduct. So is that, is that accurate? Yeah, you're always trying, and it's hard. You know, you've got the business side of football that's going 100 miles an hour, and you've got a bunch of young guys that are worried about, you know, making the team, worried about their hamstring, worried about beating the Patriots on Saturday or, or Sunday, rather. Um, and then you're trying to say, hey, there's this whole other world out here that you need to be concerned about. So you're always trying ways to kind of break through to players and, and you know, one, let them know where their rights are. I'm sad with where the game is right now. I really am. The, the game has no middle class. We got about 60% of the league making the minimum. You know, it should be better. You know, we should be, you know, I think the, the emphasis on players' safety and welfare is basically focused on not practicing. And I'm proud of a lot of the changes we were able to make. I think there's more attention that needs to be paid to that type of stuff. And, uh, you know, the players in the game deserve better. You know, as much work as I did, you always have these ones. And, you know, Juice was one of those. I th- you know, Juice had a, a tough time with, um, you know, an injury. And, you know, I always think back to that and think, you know, I should have, like, grabbed him and shook him and said, hey, you know, think about this differently. And, you know, that really changed, like, how I viewed my role because once Juice had that situation, you know, Seth, you know, like we'd have a game on Sunday. On Monday, I would sit down with our trainer at the time and go through the injury list. And then I'd go in the locker room and tell all the guys, hey, are you, what'd they tell you? One, and then two, you probably need to think about going to see somebody else. So, uh, yeah, I was, you know, I, I took that very seriously. I, I enjoyed that role. And, and uh, like I said, it's, it's the stories like, like juices that don't get told enough where, you know, look, it's a great game. We're all really lucky to play it, but there's another side to this, and you just want these young guys to to get everything out of it that they could have. And, you know, I, I think back, like, Juicy had that year 98, and then, uh, you know, what could have happened? Like, what would have that next chapter have been for you? So that was something that just kind of drove me to get up every day and, and kind of attack that the same way I did trying to get to the quarterback. Wow. Thanks, Trace. Wow. Yeah. Great stuff, man. Well, yeah. well, again, Trace, thank you so much for, for everything. You know, I, we talked about the young guys and Zach and Larry, oh, man. young guy who, who got to work with you. You meant a lot to me as well. You've hosted me at your house, even when I didn't bring the circus with us. And, um, and we, we definitely appreciate you spending some time here. In the uh, man, this was a, this was a thrill for me. I got goosebumps right now. Just talking about all of it. Uh, miss awesome. you guys we had a good thing didn't talk enough about my guy tim bowen didn't talk enough about jeff cross the tape signs i used to put on uh kenny mixon and lorenzo bromel and daryl gardner when they fell asleep in the meetings we're just gonna have to bring you back in well, trace man we appreciate your time man and uh as, as always man thanks for diving in man uh, it's great to see you guys and uh great to hear your voices and look forward to doing it in person soon 
You're now diving into the fish tank. Sitting down with Seth Living, OJ, Juice Man, ooh, and this is strictly for them true fans, yeah. dog fans, number one, one, of course y'all, this ain't no ordinary sports talk, dive up in that fish tank, go get your aqua orange, yeah, it's time to dive up in that fish tank, it's only legendary talking when you dive up in that fish tank, rocking with OJ and Seth when we dive up in that fish tank, Don't ever add a token, but the devil in the fish. 